The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. We are in the second week of a five-week series here in the month of August where we're, uh, we're calling it Refocus. And uh, as I mentioned last week, I, I generally uh, like to take uh, about two times a year, uh, maybe three, uh, to kind of... Because life gets busy, life gets crazy, maybe your life is different than mine and, you know, it's just like bonbons all day long. Um, but if there's anything like mine, life gets busy, there's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, I like to take time, right about now, the end of the summer, heading into the school year, I like to take time at the beginning of the year, right between like, the week between Christmas and New Year's. And sometimes, uh, again, at the beginning of the summer, to kind of... Just stop for a minute and refocus. Take a look at my life and say, all right, you know, how am I doing? doing? Am I going in the direction that I want to be going in? Is this, you know, if I continue on this path, is this what I want to happen? Is it the time where I can kind of reassess personal goals or areas I need to grow in, things I need to refocus on? Uh, and uh, we just thought it would be a good time to do that as a church, to take some time to do that. And what we're going to do around that is we're going to focus on these four, um, and by the way, um, apologize for, it's usually my job to focus the lights on to something other than random spots, but I forgot to do that this morning. <laughs> and that's why we have a can pointing to the back wall over there. No personal, re- no, no real reasons. I guess we are highlighting Jamin's uh, bag over there, if you want to see that, it's nice and lit, the trash can there at the corner of the stage, kind of brings some ambiance to the room, you know, keep it classy, that's like all we like to do here, but uh, as the banners are back here behind me, Jesus, worship in the dark over here, and then community and mission, uh, we set out on this journey, wow, I guess it's been, when we first were starting the journey, um, two and half, two years, a little over two years ago, um, we said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We don't know what this church is going to look like. I mean, we are gathering, uh, our friend Meg and I are remembering, um, I don't even know if anybody was here, is here that was there for that that first, yeah, maybe first gathering. Um, We had an informational meeting at our house, a couple like just going to let people know what was going on. We were going to be planning a church. And the first meeting that we're going to have outside of our house, we couldn't find a place to meet on a Sunday evening. And we ended up as a Kroger in Carolina Forest. And then somebody said, there's a meeting room upstairs at the Kroger in Carolina Forest. You could use that. And they give it away for free. And so we got the meeting room upstairs at Kroger. And it was... It was an adventure. It was it was like 89 million degrees in there, and there was a, a wall of windows on each side. So one side, you looked out uh, behind me as I was talking, uh, people going in and out of the store with their with their shop buggies and their bags and calling to each other and honking each other. And, and then on the other side, because uh, we had the door open so you could hear, was like the, the melodious sounds of Celine Dion and other kind of background sounds they have going on in the grocery store. Uh, plus the beep, 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 price check on aisle three, and it's all kind of back and forth. It was horrible, 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 horrible. <coughs> and uh, the next one we had in a clubhouse uh, at a place in Carolina Forest, and then we ended up meeting the rec center. And uh, it's just a, a motley crew of, of, I mean, this is a motley crew, but it was a really motley crew of people gathering on Sunday evenings. And we're just saying, all right, hey, we're going to do this thing, and we don't 
know what we're going to look like. Hopefully we don't look like this a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. But this is what we do want to establish. That the core of who we are, our, the center of our DNA, is going to be Jesus, worship, community, and mission. That's what we're going to be about. Uh, we might take different forms. It's going to look different. Like, like just as a baby, when once a baby is born, uh, it doesn't look anything like he or she are going to look 10, 15 years from then, right? But all the DNA for what that child is and will become is contained right there. And we want, that's, that's what we're going to be about. We're still a baby, baby church plant, obviously look around. But we know that this is what we want to be about five years, 10 years from now. Jesus, worship, community, and mission. And last week we talked about Jesus, which is a good thing to talk about at church. And the, the, the real focus of what we talked about is how really in life that most of us kind of ping pong or zigzag back and forth between looking for either pleasure or meaning. We talked about how Sigmund Freud, he, he said like basically the, the, human, the human person is uh, operating on this very basic drive and desire for pleasure. This drive and desire to fulfill these appetites that they have. And so we're looking for pleasure. But then we said this other guy named Viktor Frankl said, no, no, no. What we're actually looking for is we're actually looking for meaning. And if we can find meaning, even in horrible places, and he was confined to a, uh, to, to, uh, a Nazi uh, camp during the middle of World War II. And he was in prison like in 1942, I believe, in the middle of World War, the World War. He, uh, he said, if you can find meaning, then you can find bliss wherever you are. The problem is that we talk about is how most of us kind of zigzag back and forth between meaning and pleasure. Like, like some of us are just like, we're just all the time we're looking for pleasure. Some of us are all the time looking for meaning. But most of us, we kind of zigzag back and forth. Like we spend a few weeks, spend a few months, like just looking for pleasure, looking for pleasure, wherever we can find it. Whatever it is that you consider like awesome and fun and pleasurable, you go, you go down that path. And then like you go down for a while, like most people in Myrtle Beach, like just the partying and the golf and the beach, it just doesn't do it for you after a while. And you say, oh, no, no, I'm going to look for meaning in life. And we said, well, we find meaning in all kinds of places. You can find it in your faith. You can find it in a job. You can find it in being important in your job. You can find it in being a parent. You can find it in your children. You can find it in your community. But we all we ping pong back and forth between finding meaning and pleasure. And we said the only place where both meaning and pleasure converge is in the person of Jesus. That when you find him, because he was the one who created you and who you were created for, when you find him, you found ultimate meaning and you found ultimate pleasure in one place, in one person. Because that's the one who you were created for and who you were created by. And if that's true... And we talked about how that has far-reaching implications. It means my life doesn't belong to me anymore. It means that it all belongs to him. It means that I can live a life of joyful submission to Jesus. Because I was created for him and by him. And ultimate pleasure and ultimate meaning and purpose is found in him. You see, at the heart the core of who we are as beings, whether you're a Christian here today or not, whether you're a new believer or you've been walking with Jesus for 25 years, at the core of our being is this unquenchable thirst for something. 
it's an unquenchable first thirst that, that just pumps inside us all the time. It's a longing for something bigger and greater and grander than, 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 than my life as I currently know it. It's those moments when you're laying asleep in bed and the house is quiet and there's no TV on and there's nothing to distract you. And you have that fleeting thought for a moment before you drift off or before you distract yourself with something else when you're in the car. There's this, uh, a lot of the stuff he has, I, I don't listen to it, it's really bad, but there's this brilliant comedian named Louis C.K. And he has this whole bit about how um, we, we don't want to get quiet. Because if we ever get quiet, if we ever listen to that piece of music that touches our soul and the innermost being, we realize that life is sad. And I'm looking for something that I can't find. We want to be a part of something that's bigger and greater and grander than us. We want to know that, that life is, there's more than, than this. And the quest, the, the thirst that is at the core of our being, this unquenchable thirst is this drive and desire of thirst for glory. For something greater than myself. The Oxford uh, Dictionary for the word glory uh, says high renown or honor won by notable achievements. Just like even like if you were honest you just like read that phrase, high renown, that's like people know about you, or honor won by notable achievements. Don't you just wish like, I wish like, I wish I had a part in that. I wish I could get me a piece of that glory. Because what consumes us as Americans, our thought process. So most of us aren't consumed with wondering what we're going to eat for our next meal or where we're going to lay our head tonight. And because those basic drives and desires are taken care of, we start focused on other things. And we, we want to be known. We want to be wealthy. We want to be significant. We want to be famous. We want people to know who we are and what we're about. We would really love. That's why we, that's why we stalk people. The internet is a giant stalking portal to look online and see what the rich and powerful and famous are doing. What are they wearing? What, where are they eating? What are they, where are they going? Who are they with? Why do you and I care whether Jennifer Aniston is pregnant or who she's dating? Or what kind of dog she has? It doesn't make any sense unless there's a drive, desire for something greater than us, some renown, some glory we want a part of. And if we can't get a piece of it ourselves, then we will stalk somebody else and leech onto their glory. I am an avid uh, poor me, I know, no, no comment necessarily. I'm an avid Clemson Tiger fan. I have been ever since I was very, if I could go back and talk to myself at six years old, I'd say, choose something different. Pick Florida State. Pick Notre Dame. You will never be disappointed for more than a couple of years. It won't be too bad for you. But I, it was just, it happened. I became a Clemson fan from the very, very beginning. And, and why do we, do we go to stadiums full of 80, 90,000 people and get like wild and crazy, climb the wall, high-fiving, kissing men? I don't know. When a 20-year-old dude carried a ball across a line. 
Why do I feel better about myself as a person if it's one of the years, like it, it happened a lot before the past five years, but if it's one of the years where they beat the Carolina Gamecocks, why did I feel better about myself? I had no part of it. I wasn't on the field. I didn't call any plays. I didn't make any coaching. It did not matter whether I was in the stadium or watching on TV, no matter how much I might think if I drink out of this cup and I cross my legs like this, like a score touchdown every time that happens. I have no part of it. Why does it matter unless I'm leeching onto somebody else's glory because I'm looking for renown to somehow be a part of? And whether it's something I can earn myself or something I jump on a bandwagon with, it's something I want a piece of. The second definition for glory is magnificence or great beauty. And it goes back to the whole like internet portal into like stalking people. Like we we in America value beauty almost above everything right now. Because if, if you're beautiful, you can become rich. And you can be significant in other people's eyes. And that's like the key, right? Because people, like ugly people can make themselves rich, but ugly people can't make themselves beautiful. And so we value beautiful people. We lift them up. And so we stalk them online. We see what they're wearing, how they do their makeup, what gown do they, why do we freaking care what gown they wore to a gala event? But we do. Because we want a piece of that beauty and magnificence. And then we feel with this pressure upon ourselves that we have to match that somehow. And so Americans spend millions and billions of dollars to try to make ourselves more beautiful than we think we are. To be toned, to have the right hair color, to have the right makeup look, to have the right physique. Because we want renown. We want glory for ourselves. And the reason that we want that is not that you're, you're, you and I aren't broken that we desire glory. We were wired for glory. We were wired to behold and to enjoy and to taste the, the most glorious you and I were wired to behold and to partake of and to enjoy the greatest renown. The greatest being the greatest one who exists. The one who we were created by and who we were created for. We were made to behold his glory. When God made man and he placed him in the garden, it says that he made him in the, his image, right? Right? And the wording there doesn't just mean that like, we have like, traits and characteristics like him. The picture there is more like a mirror. You and I were made to be a mirror. He made human beings specifically so that we could reflect God. We could see him in his beauty and his greatness and his glory. And then in a unique place with with the creation that we were a part of, and yet we were made in his image, we were created as a sort of a slanted mirror to see and behold that glory and that beauty and that magnificence and to reflect that to creation around us. As he told us, go and 
subdue the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. We call that the cultural mandate. That means go and build cities and bridges and houses, uh, architecture, and learn how to cultivate the earth. Learn how to learn how to do all the things. Learn how learn about this amazing creation that I have made you a part of and have placed you in. And take this image that I have that I've implanted. I've made you to reflect and reflect that to creation and make stuff out of this world that I've placed you in. And then. As we're a slanted mirror, we're to take all of this creation he's put us in and all the things that we're discovering and enjoying, this display of his glory. And we take that and we reflect that back to him in praise and in worship. We were made for glory. We were wired for glory to reflect the glory of God to creation and then take that glory and reflect it back to him in praise and worship. That's the life you and I were made for. We are made to be connected to the most glorious, the most famous, the most powerful, the most amazing, the most beautiful. Think about the most beautiful person you've ever seen and how you stood in awe. He is a million, billion, infinity times more beautiful than that. Think about the most perfect moment you've had. Maybe you're sitting beside the ocean and the sun was, was rising. Or you're on the other side and you see the sun setting. Or you're in the mountains. And like I was describing last week, the clouds roll in. And they're right above our head. And then they roll in on us on the side of the Blue Ridge Parkway. And you're like, he is a million, billion, quadrillion times infinity more awe-inspiring than that. You and I were created for glory. The problem isn't that we're seeking for glory and beauty and renown. The problem is that we seek for it in all the wrong places. That we settle for far lesser glories. than what we are created for. Psalm 115, as uh, um, Elizabeth was reading to us, if you have your Bible, you can turn to it. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles underneath the chairs. It's on page uh, 328 of that Bible, Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So if, even in the middle of that first verse, it's acknowledging that there's, there's this whole kind of now, this sort of tug of war for glory going on. And I'm either looking for it for myself, I'm looking to share it with somebody else, like a leech on somebody else, or he gets it. But that's, that's the way it goes. We're looking for renown for our name. I want to be famous. I want people to know who I am or what I'm about. Why do we always hear when a famous person, when a powerful person gets pulled because they, they were speeding or they ran a red light or they picked up a hooker or whatever the case may be, and the, the, what is the first, person they, the first thing they say to the cop that pulls them? They say, do you know who I am? Because we want to be known. Now maybe if we can't get renown for our own name, we're looking for the renown of another. So I'll, I'll piggyback on somebody else. I'll leech on somebody else's renown, renown and their fame. And I'll sort of like uh, vicariously live through them. We, we see glory. We, we search for glory in the beauty in ourselves, the beauty in others, or admiring or even being envious of beauty in others. 
And we worship that beauty that someone else, is, that someone else has that I cannot possess for myself. Or particularly all across the world, but particularly in the States, we worship, we glory, we find beauty and magnificence in us being exuding a sexuality, people being sexually attracted to me or being sexually attracted to someone else. We worship that. We glory in that. Beauty in nature, possessing a power or admiring or even envying power that somebody else possesses. It's glorious. Renown. The psalmist opens this psalm by saying, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nations say, Where is their God? He's talking about the nation of Israel here. Why should the nations around them say, Where is their God? And one of the most awesome verses in the entire Bible. I say that a lot, but this is one of the most awesome verses in the entire Bible. Verse 3, I remember when I read this for the first time. Our God is in the heavens. He's untouchable by you or by me. We can't vote him out. We can't depose him. We can't raise an army and remove him. He is far above us. He is untouchable to us. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. We seek for glory and he's the only glorious one. There's this, uh, when we talk about what is the glory of God, what does that even mean? Uh, I have a definition. This isn't on the screen, but and try to follow me. It's kind of wordy, but just stick with me. Glory is the external elegance, the external elegance of the internal excellencies of God. The glory of God is the external elegance, the outward beauty, so to speak, of the internal excellencies of God. It's what you see when God goes public with his beauty. You and I were made to behold glory. We are wired for it. But we settle for lesser glories. Not only do we see that we are wired for glory, but we also see that we are wired for worship. You and I, I can tell you that I don't know what your life looks like or what you're good at or what you're bad at, but I can tell you this right now. You are an ex- excellent, excellent worshiper. It's what you do. You can't help it. Just as much as breathing in and breathing out, you can't stop yourself at this moment from breathing in and breathing out. It's just what you do without thinking about it. You and I worship. It is the, it is the gut level response to when we see glory. And because we are made to be image bearers, to see God's glory and reflect it to creation around us, we are always looking for something glorious and amazing. And when we see, find something that you and I deem glorious and amazing, we invest in that. We say, man, that is worthy. That is awesome. That is, that is valuable. And according to the value, I invest myself and give myself to that thing. And so that's why I own a bunch of Clemson paraphernalia at my home. And whenever they're winning, I wave the flag on my car. And when they're not, I'm a little more hesitant to do it because I've tied myself up into, into, into them. And I, I'm bought in and I respond in worship. That's why I cannot help but whenever they score a touchdown, I respond. 
That's why you respond kind of crazily if you built your value around your kids. If you've seen worth and value in them, and not only we should all see worth and value in our kids, but if we put ultimate worth and value in them and we build our lives around them, whenever they go off the rail, they take a step in a different direction than we want them to take, our world falls apart. That's why when somebody breaks up with you, it's, you're, not, you're not just sorrowful, but you, your life is over and everything comes crashing around upon you because you have put value in them or in a relationship, that particular relationship or relationships in general. When that breaks and that falls apart, your whole life falls apart because you are made to be a worshiper. And inherent in being a worshiper is you invest yourself totally and completely in that thing that you deem valuable or glorious. We spontaneously praise that which we deem valuable or glorious. We cannot help it. It's just what we do. The problem isn't that you and I are worshipers, it's that we worship far lesser things. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 115. They just said in verse 3, our, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Verse 4, their idols are silver and gold. Their idols. He's saying that no matter what you, whether you worship the God that is in heaven and does all that he pleases, or you worship uh, sex, or money, or power, or position, or a house that you live in, or a person, or an idea of a person that you want to date, or to marry, or your kids, or your job, or significance, or a football team, or a particular athlete, a particular actress, or a particular hobby that you have. No matter what you place it in, you are placing it in something we all are either worshiping the God in heaven who does all that he pleases or are worshiping idols, competing little g-gods. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. When we worship anything other than the God of heaven and earth, we are worshiping something that is empty, that makes no return on the investment that we place in it. Can never match the value that we place in it because they weren't made to worship, when we worship God, it's gladly reflecting back to God the radiance of his worth. It's when we see him in his beauty and his glory and his holiness and his, and his magnificence and we reflect that back to him, we cannot help but to respond and worship. And if you and I are worshiping the wrong thing or the wrong things, the reason is it's because you and I aren't beholding the beauty that is found in the person and the work of Jesus clearly. Because you, like, like a lot of things, like, you, you can't, like, let's say, uh, I know somebody who found her significance in uh, a softball field that she served at. It seemed ridiculous to someone on the outside. 
She was a volunteer leader at a softball field. But that's all that she kind of had in her life. And she invested heavily her whole life and her whole being into keeping these ball fields going and being a part, a volunteer leader at the ball field. You and I will find something small or big or something and we will invest ourselves in that. And you just can't make yourself stop. Just like you say, I can't stop loving somebody until that love is replaced by another love. You can't stop worshiping something unless it's replaced by something else. And if you see that your life is built around finding value and worth in something or some things other than Jesus Christ, you just can't just stop it. You have to replace that thing that you view as valuable by seeing something that's more glorious, more awe-inspiring, more beautiful, and more valuable. And that's the person and the work of Jesus. And we see not only are we wired for glory, not only are we wired as worshipers, it's just what we do. You can't help it. Verse 8. This is the saddest verse. Those who make them, that's the idols, become like them. So do all who trust in them. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Not only are we wired for glory, we wired for worship, but we're wired to become like the object of our worship. That's, that's why when you start hanging out with a new group of people, you start to dress like them. You unconsciously, subconsciously start to talk like them. You start to think like them. That's why you start to talk and think like the people that you are looking at online or you watch the movie theater or, you, or, the, or the team all of a sudden it doesn't become weird that you show up at a game and you're, you're not wearing a shirt and you got your, your chest painted and your, your face is all painted and you're going crazy and it's zero degrees outside and you're wearing almost no clothes and you're going crazy. It doesn't seem weird and crazy to you because you become like what you worship and that leads us either to um, that leads us either to ruin or restoration. All those who make them and worship them become like them. Their idols are dead. They are dumb. They have no, no power, no inherent beauty in themselves. There's no return on that investment. And over time, you become deaf and dumb and dull and dead yourself. All who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. That goes back to the beginning. We talked about being a slanted mirror. We're made in the image of God because we're made to behold him in his glory and therefore reflect that. But when we point the, point the mirror on something else, we're imaging something else. If you want to know what it is that you worship, what it is that you revere, you look in the mirror and see what you're reflecting back. 
Romans 1. If you have uh, your Bible, you can turn there. If you have the Bible underneath you, it's on verse, uh, page 610, Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature. See that? So his, his invisible attributes, his power and his nature, his nature and his character have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So we, we look around us and the, it's all declaring the glories of God. I heard John Piper say one time, if, if, if you and I had eyes to see in this room, this room right now, in this, in this gym at an elementary school in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, if you and I had eyes to see, everywhere you look around would be the glory of God. It'd be declaring his glory and his magnificence and his beauty. But the reason we don't see it is because we are blind to it and our eyes are closed. Things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him. That's worship. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. That's the response. Worship is inherently a response to God for who he is. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became what? Fools. And exchanged what? The glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Since the garden, since the fall, there's been a temptation for us to settle for lesser glories. And the irony is it was all made by him and for him. And we take what he made to show forth his glory and we make those things of ultimate value. None of the things that we've talked about, riches, beauty, wealth, power, are inherently evil. They're parts of God's creation. The point that should be that each of those, whether we have it or see it, should cause us to see the glory of God through it. But we just stop and put the period there and we make those things the ultimate things and we build our lives around them. We give ourselves to them as sacrifices to worship. We are all worshipers, and we all end up reflecting what we worship. You resemble what you revere, either to ruin or restoration. So what do you do? What if you're sitting here and... God's spirit is working in your heart. You're seeing some things in your life. You're like, man, I'm I'm worshiping things other than the almighty creator God. What do you do? Like I already said, you can't just stop. How do you get out of that? Well, today, like... There's just really like dull, dry periods in the Christian life. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. 
And you're like, man, things are just kind of dull and dry for me. I come and I hear the music. I drive in my car. I listen to that pirated CD that uh, John made for us. You know, I, I, I hear, I read the Bible. I hear somebody speak. I, you know, whatever the case may be, I, I do this and it just doesn't do anything for me. I don't, I, I'm just dry and dull and dark for me, for me right now. What do you do? And what you and I have to do is we have to find some way to cut through the weeds, cut through all the other lesser gods and lesser idols that are always vying for our attention and get our eyes on, get our sight on the almighty creator God who took on flesh when you and I were separated from him and had no hope. And we see the beauty and the glory that is found in Jesus Christ. Because if you want to see the glory of God, the, the external, the, the external uh, show of his excellencies, if you want to see how his, his beauty and his glory made manifest that would cause you to, to worship him, it's most clearly seen in the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for you when you and I were separated from him, when we had no claim, no hope on him, we had no desire to follow him, that he came and God Almighty became a man. It blows our mind. We talked about it last week. He became a man. He took on flesh. He became a part of creation. He lived a life and died a substitutionary death to unite you back to him. The son died to make you a son or daughter of the most high God. And he rose again. And, and this whole world that's, that we look around as broken, as beautiful as it is, as amazing as it's inherently broken, he's coming back again to make a new heavens and a new earth where we will rule and reign forever with him. And when you see that, when you really see it, it clears all the chaff away. And it stirs your affections. Behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and you respond in worship. I'm going to read this section, and I'll be done. It's a long section. It's Revelation chapter 5. Um, it's, if you have the Bible underneath your seat, it's page 665. You can read along with me, or you can just listen. <coughs> in, in Revelation 4, we see. We see heaven erupting in worship, and they're worshiping the creator in his amazing creation. And then in verse 5, we see the ultimate worship of heaven. It's interesting, by the way, every, every time you look ahead, if you take a peek into Revelation, in the book of Revelation, there's worship going on. It's just what we do. But in Revelation chapter 5, we see the ultimate expression of worship. In heaven, then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Don't get caught up in the imagery here. Just listen to the point. We're not going to talk about the seven seals and what that means and all that stuff today or any time. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. So nobody qualifies. 
And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Who's that talking about? Jesus has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And how did he conquer? Let's listen. Verse 6. And between the throne, the four living creatures, and among the elders. I mean, this is a mind-blowing picture of heaven that we see going on. I saw a who? Do we see like a, a, a vast beam of light? Do we see the lion? Do we see... Uh, what do you see? Do you see a warrior? Do you see somebody wielding a sword? Do you see... Like, all these are pictures of Jesus. What do you see right now before the throne? A lamb. Standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the four and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Why is he being called the Lamb? Because he was slain each holding a heart and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. What's the song they sing in heaven? Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. That's everybody, by the way, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. If you and I are dull, if we are far away, if we are worshipping other empty, lesser idols, the answer to us, the antidote is to see the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth for your sins to unite you to Christ. The son who died to make you a son or to make you a daughter. And when we see that, we respond in worship to that glory. And all our life becomes worship. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.